Hoo hoo. Hey guys, welcome to episode 76. All right, guys, so we're here with another episode. Um, actually, I just met this guy. You know, sometimes I actually meet them well beforehand, and, and me and him kind of have been texting back and forth, but, you know, we finally locked in a date. Uh, and he's another one I found off a of Podmatch, which has really been a godsend of a website because and and the the creator sent it to me, the the guy who created the site. And I've met a lot of great people as I've you know kind of highlighted here, and he's another one. Um, and so why don't you tell us your name and then kind of just give us a little highlight of what you've been through, and then we'll kind of go through it, you know, um, in, in order. Sure. Well, first, TJ, thank you very much for having me on your podcast, my my blurred vision. I really appreciate it. My blurred opinion. And <laughs> sorry, my blurred opinion. You're good. It's the same thing. But go ahead. <laughs> he already doesn't listen to me. <laughs> I was thinking one and said the other. It's all right. I have both. I have both. I'm looking. <laughs> So let's let's start from what we first that you first mentioned, which was being Jewish and gay. Um, yeah. So yeah. first question is, 
again, I, I'm not Jewish, so I don't know how how are gay people perceived in the Jewish community? Because there's certain communities where, uh, you know, like my sister, I, I'm white, but I grew up in a Spanish culture as well, and in the Spanish community, and, and and some other communities as well, there's a macho aspect to it, where it's like if you act a certain way, even if it's not gay, but if you just yeah. you're not as masculine yeah. and you're not as tough. Uh, you can be yeah. perceived as a certain way and you could be perceived as gay or a sissy or whatever. Um, yeah. So how is it perceived yeah. in the Jewish community? Well, you know, I think people think, and it might be true, that it's maybe more uh, acceptable because Jewish men on a, on a whole, it might be cliche, but cliches are true, are more uh, sensitive and uh, probably are more more mama's boys. And so I think that people would think that it's acceptable uh, or more accepted, but it all depends where you, like anywhere, I think it actually depends what era, what decade we're in, what what country, what what city you live in, it all boils down to that. But it would just seem to me that it's, it's more acceptable. That may not be true, but that's my experience and my perception. Now, of course, with the Hasidics, uh, the truly religious, they're like any extremist uh, group in any religion. Right. Uh, you're, you're ostracized. If they find out about the, if you're gay or lesbian or bisexual or transsexual or whatever, I mean, you are kicked out of the community. And uh, like you have, you know, that's the only thing you've known. So it's like you have nowhere to go and you don't know anybody, anybody else. So it's, it's pretty horrible. And there's some films, fictional films and documentaries on that uh, with, with the Hasidics. And, um, but, you know, my story, even though I, I grew up in the 70s and, and 80s and uh, it's a completely different time, I, I still had that, 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 that fear and shame of coming out to my family. But when I did... First of all, it was step by step. So I first came out as bisexual because I was also uh, going back and forth and, and, and dating women. And, how old um, were you then? When yeah. I came out? Uh, what, yeah, well, how old were you when you actually kind of thought you were gay or into men? Oh, my God. And then how old uh, were you when you actually came out? All, always into men. I... Uh, I remember finding with my with my brother, I found my dad's Playboys and penthouses, and I remember looking. It was exciting because we knew we were doing something wrong. We were looking at something that was adult for adults, and we shouldn't be looking at. And there were all these nude, yeah, there boobies and and (laughs) and all of that. Yeah, and um, and so that was exciting to see something we we shouldn't be seeing, but. I remember when in the pictorials there were naked men, my my meter really went off. You know, it went from half to to to, to, to full, and uh, I don't. I, I honestly, I don't know if I was seven or eight or ten. Um, uh, it was just it's just always, and I was always into my. My, um, I would look at co- my coaches or my friends' dads or, or my my friends. Like I always had a crush on on someone. I mean, like a straight guy. I mean, you're always looking at women, or you're looking at your friend's mother or something. Right, right, right. And it's 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 the same thing, except it's I'm looking 
exactly. I'm looking at at men and and hoping that that guy notices me or feels the same way about knowing pretty well that he probably doesn't. Um, And then uh, when I came out, I was 1980s. 1987. So I, I was actually ago. about nine, 19. I was 1920. And I, my head, I had been leading the, this, you know, double life and, and hiding who I was and so forth, which takes a, a lot of energy. And I just, it was, my head was going to explode. And I was in Toronto. I was accepted to theater school. So uh, I was over there, and I wanted to be out of Winnipeg because I knew if I stayed in town, I wouldn't be able to ex- become myself and explore my sexuality because I was always scared on the street somebody would see me. Like when I went into, um, at the time, there were a lot of magazine stands, and that's where men picked up men. If you went to the back of the magazine stand, there was a, a, a door or a curtain, and that was the the nudie magazines for the over 18 people, right. um, adults. And back there, guys, that's, uh, there's different places in the past that, that men would pick up men right out in, in, in public. Um, and there was a code I heard that of, we had. I heard yeah. of one where there was like, uh, it's a trucker thing where yeah. you'd be near a payphone and if the phone rings and you pick it up, you probably yeah. don't want to pick it up unless you're into guys because they're going to say something horrible to you. And and if you pick up and you answer and you stay on the phone, then you know what you're getting yourself into. If you don't, then you probably hung up. You and know ran. what? I, I'm glad you reminded me of that because I completely forgot about that. I, mean, I heard about that years and years and years ago. But the two uh, places that I knew of that I used were the um, adult uh magazine stands right. and also public bathrooms if you went to a department store and went to the bathroom and stood at the ur- urinal someone was gonna gonna come along who was was also into guys another place that i uh that was common that you know i would go to it was uh they're called cruising spots is usually in every city there would be I don't know why it would be like down by the river where there were trees and bushes, I guess, because you're kind of hidden and you can play hide and go seek and you guys would have sex in the bushes and things like that because where else were you going to? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so th- this was like another place that the, that the guys used to go to, to to find guys. Also, interestingly enough, usually around uh, legislative buildings and city halls, I don't know why. But this was in, in Winnipeg, and maybe because this was by the river, and <laughs> guys used to sit in their car or drive around or walk around, and you would you would just have this nod or this wink or this look, and you knew it's on. Right. <laughs> yeah, you guys thought of everything. This is impressive. You have like morals, well, just Morris code, but in a different way. It, it to- well, you're out in you're out in public, and you don't want to be found out. And this, I think, this could be with any group that you have a shorthand that you exactly you have a Morse Morse code, and you figure out ah, this is somebody who's like me. Right. Um. um before before you yeah. like actually came out, and you were kind of doing the back and forth with women and men, like 
was were you try, were you trying to hide something from yourself? Or were you trying to just play both sides of the fence just to see if you did like women? Were you trying to kind of you know kind of compromise or come to terms? With, like were you trying to like do the whole? You know, maybe I am straight, and, and you're trying to show off yeah. for, for straight friends yeah. or whatever, just so you don't look gay. Or yeah, oh, totally. Well, first of all, I was an athlete, and I was playing football, oh, okay. and I was running running track and field, and I had a brother who was a jock, and my dad was a jock, and I had to keep up appearances. So right. from appearances, I always had a girlfriend. But I have to tell you, I was I was terrified. I did not have sex with them other than maybe a, a, some 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 kissing or necking and making out like i i <laughs> i don't know what they thought but i always had girlfriends but we never had sex i was just terrified i did not know what to do and i was hoping something would happen but also i knew deep down like no, nothing would that this was just you know as they they, they call it your 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 beard right yeah yeah that makes me Your think beard. of uh, that makes me think of like a uh, Family Guy skit where you know, <laughs> Stewie he, he he's he's basically gay, but <clears throat> he tries to talk around it. And there's a there's a scene where there's a clip where he he it, they're kind of doing some old Roman time stuff, and he's gonna have sex with this woman, and the woman she's constantly trying to give him advances and sleep with him. And he's like, oh, I can't right now. I'm tired. But how about Wednesday? He's like, oh, Wednesday, you know I'm not here. Oh, but Wednesday, I would be so horny and I'd be so into it. But, oh, Wednesday, you can't do it. And it's just like he never he never <laughs> made proper time for her because he never wanted That's to sleep fantastic. with her in the first place. So every time she was out or busy, he would just go, no, I can't do it. But when she was ready, he's just like, no, I'm too tired. I can't do it. Um, it's just funny. But, um yeah, go ahead. I'm I sorry. did. Uh, no, no, that, that, that's okay. But I, I, I did. If, after I came out as bisexual, I did go back and forth in re relationships with men and women. And they were relationships where I, we were living together. And they, they were sexual. And I was learning. And I was much more confident. And I wasn't pretending. I was actually into these women. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm straight now. Oh, maybe I am bisexual. And, and but the thing is, is that I always lost at a certain point. I always lost interest in the women. I liked it for the emotional connection. Right. But um, I finally had to ask myself when I was going back and forth. I thought, could I live my life uh, without having uh, sex with a woman? Right. And the answer was, yeah. Well, and there's and less threat myself, as well because women are more empathetic and they're going to be more yeah. understanding. And then you got yeah. the men who maybe will like guys or maybe are on the fence. But if you come across them, whether around someone else and you present them with, hey, I kind of like you, they will they may physically attack you. They may put your business yeah. out there. Whereas women, you know, you could probably get away with saying, hey, I might like guys too, but I like you. And so the women route is probably a safer bet. But if you, you can't force it if you don't like them. Well, these, these two women, these girlfriends that I have were exactly that. They were so loving and caring, and they both said to me, um, you know, if you want to have sex with guys, I completely understand, and you should, but knowing that, you know, this is your primary 
relationship, but I understand if once in a while you, you want to have sex with God. But that that freaked me out because I thought I was into monogamy and I thought that's just not right, right. to to be with someone and then go have sex with, with someone outside of the relationship. So I finally asked myself, I, I said, can you live your life without having sex with men? And the answer was no. And that's, that was the moment I decided, yep, I'm gay. Okay. Who did you end up telling when you finally? Well, well then slowly I ended up telling everyone. And, you know, it's, it's a gradual thing. You don't just kick open the door and, you know, wave a banner and join the parade and, and let everybody know. Right. Um, it, it's still scary. And so it took from 1987 to 1997 for me to fully come out as, as a gay man and pretty well to everybody. Because first it's your family and your close friends, and then it's social friends. And then it's the people you work with. And then it's just like, who cares? The people on the street, they see me holding hands with a guy. Right. And um, so it was a 10-year journey for me. How did your family take it? My family was great. I mean, oh, my awesome. mom, first of all, my mom was like, I kind of thought so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom's always but I, I think exactly. Moms, whatever you're going to tell them. They already knew a few years ago. They just didn't say anything. Uh, and my sister and my brother and my aunt and uncle, they're, they're, they were all, you know, you're Kevin and we love you and we just want you to be happy, which is the most, not everybody gets that, you know, uh, a lot of people come out, a lot of people come out and they're kicked out of the house or their family won't speak to them. And I had a, a really great experience. The only person who was not on board with it was my dad. And he still loved me. He still spoke to me, but he wouldn't accept that part of me. And he said to me, he said, you know, you can go see a psychiatrist and take care of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that works. <laughs> and so, so the day he died, that was a part of me that he still just wouldn't, couldn't accept. And, you know, I never asked him. Like, I don't know if he saw it as, uh, you know, some parents see it as, where did I go wrong? Or maybe I have a default, a faulty gene or something. And it's, right. it's nothing like that. But I, I think even when he was like sometimes in the hospital, he'd be looking at the nurse and winking like I should get together with the nurse. Right, right. <laughs> well, and you're an athlete, so you probably were in shape and girls probably wanted you, but you just were. No, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And I'm sure there's also a worry, too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like deep-seated stuff and all, but I'm sure there was some sort of worry, like you, you being an athlete you being in locker rooms yeah. with all these guys. And look, yeah. there is a lot yeah. of athletes that end up being gay. They just don't want to show it because they're jocks and they're the popular kids. So they don't want to, they don't want to come out because yeah. then they get bullied or beat up. But, you know, yeah. so you're in a locker yeah. room full of testosterone and, and just, you know, all that. And, you know, everyone is probably 95% of the people in that locker room are probably saying that they're straight. Whether they are or aren't is a different story. Yeah. And yeah. if you're the yeah. one that's like, hey, I'm gay you you have a target on your back. And so I'm sure there's part of your dad is also the, again, I'm not, I, I don't want to stick up for him cause I don't know what kind of man he was, but you know, I'm sure yeah. there was a part of him yeah. that was probably being protective in that way too. It's like, you know, he yeah. knows what his son is, con is, you know, coming out as gay is not something, you know, you're putting a target on your back for the rest of your life, whether, whether you get beat up or anything like that, but it, yeah. You, yeah. that may yeah. never happen. But you know, it's, again, people throw around words and just there's people yeah. may not hire you and all that kind of shit. So there's, oh. yeah. 
totally, totally. And I think guys too, like they might have a little bit of that fear. Like a guy likes to be the prey, you know, he doesn't want, want to be preyed upon. So if uh, a guy is checking a guy out and he doesn't want any part of it, I mean, that's, that's threatening. And because he sees himself as the, the inferior one, right. but, you know, not the, not the alpha male anymore. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so there's, yeah, so locker rooms, yeah, can be a dicey situation. But we're probably the ones not checking you out because – we know that we are gay, and if we're caught, we're going to be seen as as aggressors or perverts or this and that. So we're probably the ones who are really keeping the blinders on. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, when when, yeah. did, when did the bullying start? Uh, well, the bullying started right away because it was from inside the house. And God bless him, my brother. My brother's a good, he's a great guy. He's a kind guy. He's a great role model, and. He didn't know it was the 70s and everyone, if you didn't like what someone was doing, you called them fag, not because you thought they were. Right. It was just another word for jerk or loser. Oh, so he didn't know so, you were gay at the time. He was just calling you a faggot just to call you that. Exactly. As, as an idiot so, or a dumbass or whatever. He didn't know. Exactly. He would call me that if I did something he didn't like or didn't do what he was trying to get me to do and telling me to do, I would get called bag or mama's boy. And it, right. I'm sure it wasn't every day, but in my memory, the way I was feeling, because I'm very sensitive, it just felt like at least once a day. But I knew yeah. that, oh my God, <laughs> he, he, he knows or oh, you took it he personal. doesn't know. He does, exactly. Like I am gay and he doesn't know. And this is terrible because the way he's saying it to me, I know it's a bad thing. So it's coming from the world. It's coming from the community and the, 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 the neighborhood, but it's coming from the person I share a room with. Right. You're hoping maybe you're hope you're probably thinking, Oh, he thinks that he knows how many people know or how many people has he told and all that. And really it just comes down. He's just calling you an idiot, but Exactly. You don't know that because you're young and you're just you're yeah. scared. Yeah, and I, I know. I know. Uh, as an adult, he felt really bad later on because he he thought like he didn't think, "Oh my God, I'm too gay." He just thought, "Oh my God, like how terrible!" I was just like a bully as a kid, and I was just calling you these these these, these bad names, and I I had no idea. So he had some you know guilt to deal with. Oh, I'm sure. Was, was there much of that in school? Because, I mean, you said also, because you didn't say it wasn't just because you were gay. It was also because you were Jewish as well. No, you know, it's funny. I Because my brother was a bully and he would beat people up, I, my, my, my family and my siblings, I have an older brother and sister, were very popular and had a lot of friends. And I had a lot of friends. And I was small. I wasn't athletic when I was really young. I played with girls. I played dolls. I played skipping. I wasn't over in the yard playing soccer with, with the boys or, or, or football or, or anything like that. Uh, I, I just was not interested. You know, you gravitate. As a kid, you don't know. You don't build up your defenses or you don't learn. Oh, and you just gravitate to what you naturally like. And so that, that's what I did. 
and I was I was small, but nobody nobody called other than my brother. Nobody was calling me names or anything. They made fun because I couldn't pronounce my R's. I had a little speech impediment, but a lot of kids go through that. So I got bullied, you know, made fun of for that. Right. Uh, I got a little chunky when I was a kid. Right. So I got, you know, I think I was made fun of a little bit for, for that. And that may have been more, again, in, inside the house when people are just humoring you, but it's tough when you're a sensitive kid. Uh, and then something happened by grade six, I was one of the first to reach puberty. And overnight, I went from a little pipsqueak who was, wasn't even picked for sports teams to the fastest, strongest kid who everyone wanted on their team. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you, you kind of live both sides of the fence. Hold so I know exactly. I know both sides of it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of that's kind of cool to. I mean, it, it sucks to be on one side, I guess, but it, it's it's cool to that you got to see both. Then you can kind of be empathetic towards both, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Um. So what what come once you come out? Uh, again, because you you had a long list of things, and obviously getting homeless and a lot of that stuff is further down your life. <laughs> What 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 kind of is comes next once you start to kind of grow into an adult and now you're accepting of your own self and you told everybody that you're gay? Um, what is like the next chapter of your life? Probably the it's the depression. I didn't know I was depressed. I called it. I call. I had a term for it, and I called it like stormy skies or the clouds are rolling in. Right. I always and call it, it like a dark cloud because you could feel it over yeah. you. Yeah. Just there. Yeah. It consumes you. And it was season. Uh, I was first, um, I, I went to go see a, a, a therapist. I think I was, oh boy, I, I don't remember if it was my, maybe it was my late twenties or, or whatever. And I said, I had therapists on and off. And I just knew it as, as the dark clouds and, and gray skies and uh, the clouds are rolling in. And it was a, a it was called SAD, the Seasonal Affective Disorder, where I would just get sad or depressed in the wintertime because the days were colder and darker and shorter. Right. And it, so it was seasonal that I, I had for so two months of the year, I had to put up with it. And then um, by the time I was 30, I had been dealing, I had been dealing with that. And I didn't, I didn't know what was wrong with, with me. Like I was a, a really, I had a really good disposition. Uh, I was easy to be around. I liked people, but I had this thing that rolled around, you know, every winter. And then when I was 30, I did something that I was totally against as, as an athlete and a, a good boy and a career boy who, who played by the rules and everything and, and listened and wanted to be liked by everyone uh, because I thought drugs, drugs were, were bad and that people who did drugs were stupid and people who drank were, were stupid. And I gave myself the okay to try drugs because I said, oh, wait, you should try everything once in your life and decide for yourself. And so 
I took the lid off the box and I allowed myself to try every drug and I didn't know that my dad was a gambling addict and I didn't know that his gene was passed on to me and I became a drug addict. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that addictive gene. Yeah. That's why I don't and, try anything because I, I got addicted to like video games and stuff and just like I just would keep playing them and I'd be like, I'm going to stop and, and I just yeah. felt it and I don't really play video games much anymore. Not that it, I mean that was an easy addiction but it was like yeah. I, I've never smoked, yeah. I've never done drugs and I don't drink. And it's just like I'm, I'm I'm now at the age now where I don't think it'll affect me because I've gotten old enough and I just don't really have any need for any of it. But I know I have that gene in me to the point where I'm just like, well, I'm just going to avoid it because I know even like yeah. even like you said, gambling. Like I've played good. I've played like fake like apps with like poker and I start gambling and I'll win like a hundred thousand you know hundred fake thousand dollars and I'll just throw it all on the table and let's go let's double it and I'm just like, oh my god, thank God this wasn't real money because I just lost mm. everything. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I know exactly what you mean with the, the, the gene. I think everyone to uh, some extent is uh, obsessed with and has an addiction to something. It could be work. It could be sex. It could be video games. It could be shopping and spending food. money. Food. Oh, food. Food is the so worst. I was, uh, I thought I became an addict and you don't become an addict. You're born an addict and it, it comes out in different ways. So what I had realized was all my life that I was addicted to, you know, one something or, or, or something else that was uh, filling a hole. And the first hole that it was filling was love because my first addiction was food and specifically Sugar. I love. Uh, first of all, I just had to always have something in, in, in my mouth to, to, to eat. I was snacking all the time, and I loved baked goods. I come from a, a great family of Eastern European women who who cook and bake, and meals were delicious, and baking baking was delicious. And you would go to uh, weddings and bar mitzvahs every weekend when you turned you know thirteen, and there would be a food buffet. And there would be a dessert buffet, and it was game on. So that that was my first addiction. After that, it was probably uh, shopping, uh, and you know, buying, spending my spending my paycheck. After that, it was relationships and and sex. Always, always having to you know focus on someone else and get someone to to, to like me or have sex with me and be in a, a, a relationship because that takes up your your time and energy from spending it on yourself and and yeah. really being by your by yourself and learning about yourself and learning to be independent so i had all people of those sorry i don't want to cut you off. so people don't really understand it because there, there's and it's, i think that's more of a guy thing it's kind of sometimes the addiction of part of that is the hunt where it's like you get someone mm-hmm. to like you enough. And even if you have mm. good intentions um, and you do care about them, you do like them, but there's times where you yeah. can just emotionally check out and you just don't want anything to do with them anymore. And it's not something yeah. you intended. You you actually intended to be with them or whatever, but the thrill of like, oh, I got someone to sleep with me and I got someone to pay attention mm. to me mm-hmm. and do stuff for me. And and then you you know maybe it breaks off or you're looking for a way out. And then if you find a way out, but then there's, there, you know, there's also a part of you because of the human side of you of just like, even like with you, where you're talking with, with the women, like you really tried and you cared about them, yeah. but you just yeah. couldn't connect. And with, with, with the guy thing, yeah. it's like, you, I'm sure you probably felt bad 
but there was just a party that felt good too. It was like, Oh, look, I got this story where I did this and I got this guy to do that. And it's, it's addictive yeah. and you don't think it is until maybe you're a couple times you're in doing it and you just go like, wow, like I'm just literally on this app chasing or I'm trying uh-huh. to get this person to talk to me. I'm just, I'm doing, I'm not even acting my actual self. Like I'm just being just like, I'm just kind of on autopilot and I'm just doing this, t- this task that I would never do yeah. or I would never want anyone to do to my friends or, or anybody that was pursuing my sister or whoever. Um, and you're just, you're kind of going the opposite of what you normally are, but it's like, it's just this addictive thing that kind of just, this adrenaline rush that kind of gets you just like, yeah, let's see what I can get done this time. And um, it's one of those well, things. That, yeah. That's it too. The, the chase is an adrenaline rush and it's a, a, a challenge. So there's so many different things going on, the focus on someone else and, and, and getting somebody to like you and, and find you, you know, appealing and, uh, you know, uh, sexually or personally appealing, and then it just takes up your your time and your your energy. And at the time, we didn't have apps uh, back then. You had to do the old fashioned thing, which was you had to go, you had to get dressed, pick yourself up, go to the club, spend some money on the uh, drinks, and spend some time there and and get into the hunt. I, the hunt was live; it wasn't right. online. Yeah, and. You know, I would go, I would go dancing either by myself or by friend with friends. And by the end of the night, if I didn't have someone's number or a date lined up, or if I wasn't going home with a guy, or I felt like I had danced with three different guys but didn't end up with any of them, it could be, it was devastating. I had, I had so many weekend romances where it was, they were just intense where. You'd meet someone on a Friday night and you'd spend all weekend together till Sunday and then never see each other again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can laugh. I can laugh about it now, but it's, you know, yeah. and I'm not the only one this happened <laughs> to. No, I mean, you, or, or, or these two week flings where it's just kismet and you meet someone else and you're hanging out and you're calling each other all the time. Again, at the, at the time, we just had regular phones. And um, you're talking on the phone all the time, and then it just like burns out after two weeks. I mean, it's just so intense, and it's 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 not meant to be. Well, you're trying to and again, like even like you said, he's obviously you're gonna get, you're gonna get into drugs and all this other stuff, but you know, you're just kind of going from one thing to the next, and you're just filling these voids with whatever it totally. is that's missing. Because you know you're talking totally. about being depressed, and maybe you at that point totally. in time you didn't really know everything you were depressed about, and there's a lot of super totally. seated these deep seated things inside you that you probably don't even really understand yet because you're growing as an adult, and so then yeah. you know you go from one you know food to sex to drugs, and they're yeah. all bad for you. I mean, I mean, no food you need, yeah. but you're using food yeah. in an improper way. You're using it to yeah. to make you feel better, um, and and it's not they're just all, for just for the survival of, of hunger. So they're they're all filling a, a void and the first one that i know of is, is love because right. i uh felt abandoned by my father so right. i still have father issues as an adult that, that that i have to work out because then i was all, all my relationships and the men that i were interested in were always older men men who were stable men who 
who were secure, men who were successful, men who had great career, men who had a house. I was never interested in, in guys still finding themselves or guys my age. Yeah, I so I, I had those I had those abandonment issues. And you didn't care about um, like growing with somebody. You just wanted someone that was already developed, and you can just kind of pop in their life for a few minutes and then hop back out. Well, and take 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 me under their their wing, and um, you know, take take care of things, and 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 take care of you know, take care of me, and uh, you know, which is not healthy. No, you know, which doesn't doesn't. Uh, there's plenty of those relationships out there, but it, it doesn't allow, you know me one 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 to grow and 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 even though i was always i was very mature i was very uh like i said i was very personable um i was very career minded i was intelligent i always loved you know when i was a kid at family dinner i didn't want to leave the table i uh, for to go play with the kids i wanted to sit at the table and hear what the adults were talking about and because I want, I wanted to always learn from older people. I had a thirst for 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 knowledge, and for I was attracted to experienced and worldly people. Which uh, certainly, as a younger gay man, there's were a lot of older gay men who just loved that. You know, you would go to a party, and they were already well traveled, and they knew this celebrity or that person, or they were collecting art. And I was just an awe of, 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 of that. I love well, you, that. You were probably at a time where you didn't really know who you really were and you were yeah, trying to figure yeah. it out through other people. Yeah. You were exactly. trying to suck off yes. little qual like you, you kind of, like with me, like I take all the good qualities of the people that have come through in my life and the bad qualities, like if there's someone in my family who I love, but maybe they're a little racist, I go, well, I don't like that, but I love that mm-hmm. you're independent or whatever, loyal or whatever, your qualities that are good. And so I mean, maybe it was beneficial in some ways, but, you know, it's also kind of wrong because you're kind of playing some of these people and all that. But, yeah, I think you were probably just at a point you were young and you're just like, I don't know who I am, so I'm going to figure it out through people who know who they are. Oh, exactly. And I I wanted to please that person so I would become a slightly different version of, of myself, not the person who completely changes them, themselves with every relationship. I was still Kevin, but I would maybe uh, bury some of those parts that maybe they that wouldn't be appealing to them or as uh, as acceptable. And that's also why uh, relationships didn't last so long because one, my fear of abandonment abandonment is uh, if you leave me, I'll be devastated. So I'm going to end the relationship first. I am going to sabotage this relationship first right. and, 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 leave, and leave it. So, so I did that. But also, too, I had fear of if this person really knew the not the real me because they're getting parts of the real me, but the whole me, the whole, you, right. the bad, the whole me and the bad parts as well, they will not. Uh, go for it and they will not accept it and there was a huge fear so I used to keep that stuff hidden and it's taken me a long time to, to, to become myself after so many years of, of living in the world and experiencing so many different things and <laughs> at 54 I can truly say uh, but what I like to say is uh, you know I have uh, no more fucks to give this is me 
like it or not, right. you know, take it or leave it. Exactly. This is me. And you, you can't because also that is kind of like, you know, when I was living um, uh, a closeted life, you're like, you, you know, you're hiding a part of yourself and it takes so much energy because maybe this isn't socially acceptable. So I'm just going to show I'm the nice guy. People are just going to see the nice guy side of me, the the well-mannered side of me. But little by little, like the, the angry, the angry guy would come out. There were so many things that I was suppress, you know, suppressing things, uh, find their way out no matter, no matter what. Right. Well, then, you know, and I think there's, you know, if you believe in karma, like there's a, you're kind of playing with fire for a while and you probably have to hit rock bottom. But in your case, you hit rock bottom a few times in your life, obviously being homeless yeah. and, and, you know, drugs and all yeah. that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so how does, how does this translate from sex and relationships to then hardcore drugs? Oh, well, the, yeah, the addiction kicked into to, to high gear when drugs were introduced to my life because I had a, uh, I had a hard year from 29 to 30 as for, for that time. It, it was, I basically thought I had an acting career and I was getting everything I wanted. I was dating a established, well-known uh, director and doors were opening for me. Because of you know who I who I knew, so I got introduced to people, and I was booking roles on TV shows, and um, it was just like you know what's the saying? The world is my oyster, or the world's at my feet, right. and I had such I wanted so much, and I had such a huge ego, which was making up for the low self esteem. You know, it was a, it was an armor that I that that I put on instead of really developing myself. Cause I was really emotional. I was, I say I was professionally and socially mature, but I was emotionally immature. And what happens is this year from 29 years of age to 30 years of age is I had one, what I perceive as one big rejection after the other with my church, church trajectory was going up and up and up and up and up. And finally, it hit a wall where there was this uh, comedy, uh, sketch comedy troupe that I had been in uh, taking uh, classes in and was getting promoted from, you know, this level to the next level to the next level. And then I didn't get along with the instructor that well. And uh, I think about like seven out of 10 of the people made it to the C, the C performance group i think they had an abc performance group and seven out of the ten made made it and i was one of the three and everybody was shocked and i and myself as well i was really hurt and then i was going on these auditions for a guest starring roles in tv shows uh, i had already been on a, a couple uh top 10 hit shows and i i didn't understand at the time that if, as long as you can stay in the room and the casting director keeps bringing you back, that means they like you. But we didn't have the internet. We didn't have IMDb at the time. And so you know now that, that it takes 20 years of a person just doing theater out in the boonies and, and, and student films and, and a, a line here on NCIS and a line there on Everybody Loves Raymond. And oh, so, you were on that? 
No, I wasn't on that. But I was on Fraser. I was on Fraser and Seinfeld and the Larry Sanders show. Wow. Okay. And um, but you know, it it can take twenty years till finally the right role comes along at the right time, and the casting director has been bringing you in the room, and you have forged that relationship, and they they're going to bat for you, and finally. You know, your cast is a regular on a, on a series or, or you book the lead uh, in, a, in a motion picture. And I didn't know that at the time, but the, uh, the casting director was bringing me in for guest starring roles on all these hit shows at the time. And I wasn't booking anything. And I, I was driving myself crazy because I thought, what am I doing wrong? Why aren't I booking these roles? I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what they want. And. But you so, had early <laughs> success, like, you know, when you get, when you were the top yeah. three in that class yeah. and it's like, okay, yeah. you know, it's kind of like one of those players that, you know, they go from college and they're in high school and they're pampered and then they get to the pros yeah. and they're yeah. not good. And it's like, yeah. why am I not good? Why am I not dunking on people? Why am I not doing this and doing that? And it's like, well, because now you're actually in a much bigger pond and yeah. you're not going to succeed unless yeah. you are upper, upper echelon of that. Or, you know, in your case, you know, acting is a little different because you, you could be a crappy actor. There's a lot of crappy actors that have success, but, Oh yeah. <laughs> or not even just crappy, but like, you know, like Vin Diesel, for instance, he's not a crappy actor, yeah. but he's like a, he plays a character, like a tough guy. And so he may not yeah. be the greatest actor, but he's in fast and the fears, which is the number one selling franchise of all time. Yeah. So he's not Denzel Washington as far as his <laughs> acting chops. So it's a little different, but still, um, but yeah, I mean, but still, when it comes to, you know, you're jumping into the acting world, there's so many, especially now, there's so many ways, especially with all the streaming platforms and everything, like, you, mm-hmm, if you think you're mm-hmm. just going to jump onto some big show, like Everyone Loves Raymond or whatever, it's oh, already no. established, and you think you're just going to no. jump on, especially a show that had a small cast like that, you know, you better yeah. you better have something about you that's amazing, and you can't just be, you know, that guy, you can't just be Kevin, you gotta, you gotta be something special. Well, ex- exactly. Also, too, it's a multi-million dollar, billion dollar industry and a network or a film studio. Uh, usually, uh, and unless you build yourself up through the, 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 the one line speaking parts to the co-star, to the guest star, and then you become the reoccurring character, the lead character, they're not going to usually invest uh, millions or billions of dollars on you because you're the face, you become the face of the product that they're trying to sell to uh, a national or international audience. All of this I didn't understand at the time. And uh, so that drove me crazy. And then my boyfriend, who is this, a big TV director, he broke up with me and for a year I was hoping he would take me back and he didn't take me back. And this was the first man, I guess it was my abandonment issues. It was my father not accepting me. This was the first man since my dad, I felt did this to me that, 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 that this was an older, successful, stable, secure, established man. And we had a relationship and he was shutting the door on me and I went ballistic and basically I didn't know how to handle my emotions and I didn't know I had these anger issues. 
and also this this lack of control because when you're in this industry, the, the film, TV, you don't have a lot of control over your career. There's other people making decisions that that you just have to let that go. And I was just so young at the times, and so the only thing I knew to do when something made me that angry was to <laughs> was to leave my career and leave town and that's what I did I picked up and I left town and I went out to the desert to babysit a friend's ranch in New Mexico and I thought I need to get over my feelings it wasn't it wasn't that I wasn't going to come back I needed I needed time to breathe and also because TV at, the, TV at the time had a hiatus and we were into hiatus season and I couldn't stand being in town and having to be a waiter. I was just so egotistical and so angry, but I, I, I so wanted it and I felt so close to it. And I thought I have to leave town and come back when the cast, when the TV shows are back in production and when they're casting again. But also I, I, I have to get away from this guy I am madly in love with. Right. And I went out to the desert and then I was ready to come back. I was there for, for a couple of months and I was ready to come back. And this, 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 uh, boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, this TV director found me. He found me in the desert and called me and all those feelings that I thought I had worked out <laughs> and I was ready to come back, came back up to the surface. And what happened is, uh, Burning Man. Do you know Burning Man? Yeah, I remember the show. Wasn't it like, was it on? No, no, no. Oh. Burn, burn, Burning Man in the desert. It takes place for, it's been taking place for 30 years. Every Labor Day weekend, there's about 70,000 people who attend it now. Oh, okay. And okay, yeah, yeah, Okay, I kind of do know what you're talking about now. Yeah. So a friend had suggested, the friend whose house uh, ranch I was babysitting, said, hey, look at this. What do you think we go check it out? At the time, there was, 13,000 people going and it was seen as like a, an art fair and the hippies and right, tech, right. Tech, tech people. And it was this cool underground thing and it was totally up my alley. And I said, yeah, let's check it out. And that's where I, out, out in the desert where I met all these, I call them bags and freaks and drag queens from San Francisco. And I was able to do drag and dress in costumes that's what people do out there there there's nudism there's costumes there's drag queens there's anything goes and everything is respected everybody right, accepted. accepts right everything except uh, every everyone respects everyone's thing if you're not into it then just keep walking on because at the next camp there's going to be something that you're into it is the most amazing experience if every if every town if every country could be like this and just accept and leave people alone and if you're not into it and if you're into it join in you know and um but it's also a place where people share uh there's uh no, uh, nothing commercial is allowed there. Uh, there's no cafes. You're not allowed to sell anything, only ice because it's the desert. And when people would make lunch or dinner, and if you were there visiting their art installation or, or, or whatever, they would, you know, say, would you, would you like some lunch? And it was 
I don't know, like a hippie commune or something. But also there were people who would share their alcohol and drugs. It was kind of like, uh, we would say it's the Avon lady. The Avon lady would come by with her little kit, and instead of cosmetics in there, there would be uh, drugs of every kind. And right, what do you I tried exactly. What, what, what kind of hide do you want? And I tried everything, and I had never ever let go of myself like that. I had always maintained uh, control and a facade, and I, I liked the feeling so much. Instead of coming back to L.A. and picking up my career, I moved to San Francisco and I went into the, the next stage of, well, I call it kicking the doors off the gate closet. And I joined the circuit party in the club scene. And I was dancing every weekend and doing drugs every weekend. And I was going to the gym every weekend. And I wanted to, to, to be part of, they call them the A-gays. So like the the alpha gays and the guys, the, the guys who, you know, look good and, and, you know, have nice houses and travel to nice places and go to all like the, the, uh, a events, you know, and that's who I wanted to, uh, to get a taste of and be a part of. And, uh, that's, that's what I did. So but, weirdly enough, you were kind of rebelling, but also kind of finding yourself at the same time. Oh, totally. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I used to call San Francisco will always have a special place, place in my heart. Um, and I only remember, I used to call it my heaven and my hell because I had to leave San Francisco because I said to my boyfriend at the, the time, because I had moved on from ecstasy to doing crystal meth. And I said, if I stay here, I will die. I'm going back to Los Angeles. And that's, that's what I did. But Quick, I, quickly, um, can you can you kind of like explain what how, you know? How do you do crystal meth and 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 what what does oh. it do to you? Just quickly. Uh, well, crystal meth you can do a variety of ways. You can snort it like coke. Like you, you can do lines. Right. Uh, you could smoke it like weed. Uh, you have a glass pipe where you burn it. And it becomes a kind of liquid. You put your crystal in there, and it liquefies it. And you 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 smoke it like someone's vaping. And that's a quicker high because I guess the the smoke, the gas is um, going through your membranes. Right. And then there's uh, the most dangerous, quickest, intense high. Is there's people who inject it, put it in a needle, yeah. uh, like the way you do heroin. heroin. And then there's you can also eat it sometimes you would just take a, a little crystal and you would just you would just chew on it and eat it and then the final way which is also quick and intense is you would do a booty bump so uh, sometimes you would uh, <laughs> take a straw place some some in a straw and have someone blow it into your anus and because the membranes there are so then it would become a quick and intense high, or you would just, you know, put, push a little a crystal shard right. up there. That's when you just get so bored the, and you're just, <laughs> you really like are so desperate. You got to be desperate to get high at that point. I mean, I guess so, if, if you like it, you like it, but I mean, wow, like there's so many other ways to doing it that are much easier, but I guess if, it, if it's the quickest high you can get to, then I guess go for it. Well, that's, that's, that typically happens when you're having and that's that's a different another part right, of right. where this drug takes you is in the beginning is it gives you this 
feeling. First of all, it gives you tons of energy. This is why people on crystal meth can be up for, I've heard, I haven't experienced this, but I've heard some people have been up for 13 or 15 days and I don't know if they've gone psychotic or if they've killed themselves because uh, the human, the human mind, the human body cannot take that. Right. Uh, I myself, my, my longest was four days and I was going crazy and having a psychotic episode and seeing things. So I can't imagine more than four days. Not that it doesn't exist. Well, meth in general and, uh, really messes people. I mean, obviously people know about Breaking Bad. It made it huge. Everyone knew yeah. what it was, but you know, I knew my yeah. neighbor did meth and it was messing his teeth up. And, um, is, is there a, is, is, again, this is, I literally, cause I've never done drugs. Is there a difference between meth and crystal meth or is it just two different terms? Is it just another term? Oh no, that's, there's so many terms for it. That's the exact same thing. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. But in the beginning, I was like, people are like, be careful. I know people who become addicted to that. And the next thing they know, they lose everything, including their teeth. And they're right. in the psych ward. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a smart guy. I'm not going to, that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, didn't know any better. I was naive and I thought I could do it every weekend. My thing was it gave me energy. It made me feel confident. And this is what it does for everyone. It made me feel sexy and like I could take on the world. And I also, because I lost myself, my career, I had only my whole adult life, my whole young life. I wanted to be an actor and move to LA. And then my whole adult life that happened is I moved to LA and I was an actor. And for the first time in my life, I didn't know who I was because I was going by that box, by that label, and I was lost. And so the parting, even though I came out uh, 100% as a, a, as a gay man, I also completely lost myself. Um, but I, I see now that I didn't really know myself because an actor was also something I was putting on, but it was the only mask that I knew. And so I was so lost um, that I just, all I wanted to do was party every weekend and stay at the party. I wanted to be there from the first song to the last song. And let me tell you, when it's a holiday weekend and you're gay, there are dance parties from Thursday or Friday night to Monday night. And some weekends, I couldn't believe it. Like, I think I danced probably 28 hours, you know, oh. in a, on, a on a holiday weekend. That's what meth does to you. That's what ecstasy does to you. And it, over time, in the beginning, everyone's going to say you do it because it's a lot of fun and you don't see what it's doing. But over time, it starts to take away your mind. It puts holes in your brain. Right. Some people, their teeth, uh, start rotting it starts to do a number on your body then it starts to do a number on your relationships and then on your career because then you're calling in sick to work and then you lose your house and you lose your job and that that wasn't me I was a high I was a high functioning addict in that I was using uh, uh, dancing and then I was using as um, uh, they call them a project tweaker. A project tweaker is someone who would stay home and take crystal meth and they could 
paint their house and build shelves and maybe uh, mow the lawn and take apart their computer and put it back together. That was right. a project tweaker. And so I became a project tweaker. I would, when it was time to do my income, income taxes, I would, I would take math because I would be up all night doing my taxes. Oh. Um, Quickly, when before, I was before do, you go on. Uh, yeah. Because I'm kind of yeah. picking up on a theme. Where, did you have like a fear of like loneliness, like being alone? Because you said you said something oh, yeah. you said something to the effect of of you know you always would stay at the dinner table to hear everyone talk and you kind of wanted to be there around everybody and then you kind of equate it you kind of parallel to the the club where you wanted to be the last one in the club like was it do you yeah. kind of always yeah. you never wanted to be alone because you had a lot of depression and all that um, yeah it just seemed uh, like you kind of always wanted to be around no people. no that's very perceptive that you picked up on that because I did, I don't anymore, but loneliness was uh, just to, to feel lonely killed me. I always, always needed to be around people, to live with people, uh, to have a, con to connect with people. Uh, and I also always had to have a busy life. I always, probably because of my depression, I always needed to be on the move. And so my day was so jam-packed i would be on the go from 8 a.m to midnight and people are like wow you're such a busy guy you're such mm -hmm. a productive guy but i know now why i was like that now i'm much more settled i'm much more i'm calm now i'm a homebody now i love i love going to sleep i mean completely night and day from who i was before yeah i it's actually because when we first started talking and even now like you can hear the joy in your voice because you were you were saying about how much more you love and enjoy life now so it, it it's super oh, fascinating yeah. so before we get to kind of your your point now how how does that kind of unfold to the drugs and the homelessness i'm mean, sorry not the drugs the homelessness actually how do we how do we go um, from drugs to now being homeless i mean i can kind of make paint a picture there, yeah well you know, I got into uh, rehab and, and AA and, and CMA, which is the crystal meth version of AA, uh, pretty quickly because I knew there was something wrong. But, you know, I still didn't understand the work and determination it took to, to keep clean. But also, I really wasn't ready. Like, I knew that that's what I'm supposed to do but that's not what I wanted to do. So I went back and forth between meetings and being clean. It was a, this was another real battle. It was almost like a, a battle of, you know, uh, being in the closet and, you know, faking and lying that I'm, I'm straight and that I'm dating women. You know, I was like secretly using drugs and stuff, but telling people I clean. showing up. Yeah. I would lie to my family. I would lie to my friends. I would. I wouldn't want them to, you know, to worry. And I, 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 I could. I could get two months, four months, six months, ten months. I could never get past ten months for for the longest time because I was focusing on other things. I was going to the gym, or I was focused on my career, or I was focused on a relationship. Uh, or I was doing yoga and meditating, but I wasn't doing the work that you have to do in recovery. And uh, I just kept falling back. And I went to New York. Uh, this is like, boy, I don't know, 20, I want to say 2014 or something. 
I had a, I was in interior design. I had my own company and I was back in my hometown. I left my, my hometown of Winnipeg and I went to New York and I, I had very little money and I had a friend, two friends were going to put me up in their, their homes in New Jersey and I would take the train into New York and I was trying to get a furniture line off the ground. And again, I'm always, I've all, always been naive in that I don't know how much work it takes and how long it takes to get something off the ground. I uh, always felt that, you know, I'm a nice guy, I'm a good guy, I work hard, and if I focus on it, everything's going to happen today or tomorrow. Right. <laughs> and nothing happens on, on, you know, on anyone's watch. And you, you, everything, everything takes time. It takes time and you just have to keep going at it and going at it and going at it and persevering and it will happen as long as you stick to it. But I just kept taking, I know I'm not going on a tangent here, but I just kept switching track and switching track and, and switching track. Yeah, so here, here I am, in, <laughs> here I am in, in New York and um, I was staying with friends. But also at the same time, and I barely had any money, and I'm trying to get my furniture line off the ground. I'm trying to get a designer or a uh, uh, like a, a furniture studio or a, a, a wealthy backer or a fabrication production house to pair with me so that I would design and they would have the material or the money and then we, we would sell it and people loved my designs. Um, but I only had, I guess I knew I had enough money to only make it happen in a, a year. Well, that's crazy. And maybe again, I was naive or um, uh, maybe I was crazy because I was doing drugs on and off uh, or, um, maybe it was just like my, my, my patience, um, or my, my unrealistic expectations. And I would leave my friend's house sometimes and go into New York city and, and find someone and do drugs with. And I would tell my friends, I, oh, I'm staying with a friend tonight and I'll, I'll be back. But me, you know, meanwhile, I'm running drugs and having sex with a guy and then I would go back but my friends were like you know you can only stay here for two months and then you have to find your own place well I never found my own place what I found was a uh, I forget what you call it but it was like a men's shelter it, it was basically where homeless people go or guys go it's the first place they go when they get out of prison and that's what I Found. And it was like uh, your charge, basically your charge of the state. And uh, I didn't like the rules. And I felt like the security guards and personnel were power trippers. So I thought, fuck them. And I took to the street. I made a choice of it. And I said, living on the street is better than living in, in there. And I, you know, my friends, I didn't do anything bad. My friends were just like, I can, I'm only, you know, putting you up for this many months and then you have to find a place. And I pretended to them like everything was good and that I was, I had found a place and I was living somewhere. And I was uh, sleeping on the streets of New York City and in parks and in doorways and in uh, vestibules at ATMs and 
I was every now and then when I wanted to, a warm bed, I would find a guy who had crystal meth and, you know, go up for a, a day or two and have a nice place to, to stay. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's how I was homeless. I, I went there with a dream and no money. <laughs> <laughs> I can laugh about it now. And then uh, finally I thought I have to, also too, because I had, was already in my 40s on Craigslist, I had always found a roommate situation on Craigslist. You were very resourceful, well, though. That's, that's one thing. Like Regardless if you didn't have money, you seemed to uh, kind of... When, when a door closed on you, you seemed to find another one. No pun intended, I guess. But, you know, yes. you, you seemed to, you, regardless yes. of, you can you can beat yourself up for some of the stupid things you did, but you were definitely resourceful. Yes. And a part of that uh, is why I'm still here. I, I, you know, I have a bit of street smarts. I have a bit of book smarts. And I have some intuition. I all, I've always stayed away from trouble. I've always stayed away from people who are trouble. I truly am grateful and blessed that I have really good people in my life. But the thing is, because I always moved around, I was always able to hide how I was doing or what was going on in my life, you know? Because right. from 3,000 3, miles away on the phone or on FaceTime, Everything looks great. You sound great. You look great. Okay. Well, you said We're you also function you. well on drugs and stuff, so that that doesn't yeah. help either. People might notice unless you like yeah. unless you're like familiar with those type of drugs and maybe certain things. Maybe your eyes are you know bloodshot yeah. red or something. Yeah. They may not understand yeah. what you're doing or what you're going through because, like I said, they don't have any familiarity of ecstasy and you know crystal yeah. meth and all that, so that you can hide it very easily. Yeah. Well, I did. I used to go to a crystal meth support group and there were sometimes I was up for a day or two and my, my body was so resilient that I would go and lie and say that I was clean and nobody would, would say anything. And it's not that they were uh, not calling me out. Like they, like I really looked good my body could handle it but there was a certain point where it changed and like the last five years of my using career i had to hide myself because it was starting to take a, a, a toll i please if i was up all night or two nights i looked like hell and i had to hide i i had to hide myself that's and kind I, of, I couldn't be that's kind of the irony though because like you you wanted to be an actor for so long but you were kind of playing your best role in actual life <laughs> You were acting the That's whole time. Awesome. You just couldn't get a role for it. You're, you're right. That's awesome. <laughs> you know what? Everyone, people don't realize that everyone's acting every day. Everyone is an amazing actor. I mean, to, to live a life, to go after what you want. I mean, people have to wear different hats and different masks and different right. costumes. But, but you, you know what? You're, you're, you're definitely, you're definitely right. I'll be your therapist. And, um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh -huh. Send me your send, send me the bill. All right. Um, the first one's free since you're doing this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I uh, I was actually um, I was for the first time in my life because I was sleeping in an ATM vestibule. I was actually uh, arrested and handcuffed by the police just because I didn't know. I guess there was a camera and somebody. You know, probably whoever was 
security watching the bank, probably called the police, and they rounded people up, and I spent the night in jail, and I had to, I had a court-appointed lawyer, and I was crying. I, I remember I was crying, and I was like, my mom is going to be so upset. Don't call my mom. <laughs> and they, they let me off because they could, they could see. It says, like, you're not in the system. Like, you've done this. We can't find you anywhere. You're obviously, you know, not like this and part of this life. And as long as you don't get arrested in the next six months, you know, be good, which I knew I could be because I, I, even though I maybe was doing wrong things or bad things, I wasn't doing things against the line. I didn't know sleeping in that ATM would get me arrested. Uh, so, of course, it was just, you know, kicked out of the courts. But I knew, I say I got my God shot because I was sleeping on the ledge of some department store and some guy came along while I was sleeping and boxed me in the ear. And I... Uh, he was laughing. He walked down the street laughing, and I thought, "Why would somebody do that?" And when you Why say "boxed," you mean he hit you? He, he hit me. He punched okay. me in the ear. Okay. He boxed me in the ear. Gotcha. And it really—I didn't have to go to the hospital. I wasn't hurt or anything, but it, it really hurt. And I called it my god shot because that was a wake up for me. And I was like, you know what? I chose—I chose this life. I've never lived like this I, i'm not commenting on it i don't come from this i, I i'm not against people who live this life but i don't have to live this life i wanted this and i can stop this and i have to find a job and pull myself together and so i moved from sleeping on the streets to uh sleeping on the subway at night because uh, in new york it's 24 hours so as long as you keep subway car jumping, they won't find you, you know. And um, I found it. I found a job. I found the best paying job of my life, and I couldn't believe it. And I turned. I turned. I turned my life around. Awesome. Um, and to forgive me, I'm not trying to fast forward too much, but I don't want the episode no, to be no, crazy no, long that way. You, like, no, no, I know it's just because I, I don't want it to be a three hour episode. So people, because I want people to actually listen to it. And I don't want to put it into two parts. And, and no, so, exactly, I agree. I but agree. I mean, you, cut me off, cut me off anytime. No, because I'm really in, enthralled in this. I'm very into this. So it, it, I'm trying to like get myself out of like completely just being amazed by it, yeah. and then you know yeah. actually try to be a podcaster and try to get it to go along a little bit. Um, Because I'm actually very interested, so please don't think I'm just pushing you away for that. No, and please, if you want to edit this and chop it up, be my guest. No, no, we're we're good. Um, So, okay, so obviously we've gotten through the homelessness. How do you, when when do we get to, uh, you know, the the facial problem and, uh, you know, the Bell's palsy and all that? How do we get to that? Well, so you got to back up from that because I, I was actually in uh, living in, in Boston, going to school for interior design, and I started feeling, you know, this, this discomfort, uh, this, discomfort. this spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, yeah, exactly. was was uncomfortable when I pressed on it. That's where your parotid gland is, right uh, under your ear, at the top of your neck, where your jaw line ends. And I complained to my dentist, 
And uh, after a few years of complaining to my dentist, my dentist doing everything that he could for me, he said, I think this is a medical issue. You, you should talk to your doctor. And my doctor sent me for an ultrasound. Uh, I was in Toronto by now. I had gone from Boston to Winnipeg to Toronto because I had to leave Boston because I had a stroke. So I went back to my hometown of Winnipeg to go to rehab. And again, once again, when I pulled myself back together, um, I moved on to Toronto, and uh, that's where I uh, discovered that I had cancer, or you know, the ultrasound machine did, and the biopsy, and I uh, had uh, a rare head and neck cancer called adenoid cystic carcinoma. I had surgery, I had radiation, and they had clear margins, and I was free of cancer, and. Uh, that was that was for about seven years. Uh, no, nine. I think nine years. I was free of cancer because it came back about three years ago, and it metastasized to my lungs. But the uh, the Bell's palsy came up around twenty. Uh, I think it was Thanksgiving, uh, twenty seventeen. Uh, I had facial from the surgery for at the adventistic carcinoma. They took out my parotid gland, the tumor, and uh, the cancer was moving across my facial nerve. So they took out my uh, my whole or part of my left facial nerve so that created paralysis but over the years the nerves are regenerating themselves so my face even though it still uh, you know has some sticky points it's right. much much better now right but, the only, um, um, sorry the only the only yeah. knowledge I ever had of Bell's, uh, Bell's palsy is uh, there's a, a wrestling announcer Jim Ross he he came out and mm. started talking about it and yeah. one of the reasons why he came out and talked about it was because there were he was at an event and people were doing it were just all different type of things that was going on and he wasn't really reacting to it and and people took it as offense like he didn't like it or he didn't give a shit and it was like he's like no I can't react to it like it's just my facial the, the part of this part of my face I just can't yeah. really react to it um, yeah. and I was just like oh like okay like I heard of it but I never knew exactly what it was um, a lot and, a know. lot of people have those palsy and you could usually and it's it's quite common uh and you could usually see it in people's faces when uh part of their lip or their nose or their eye is crooked or doesn't move like the the other side and you can see it in politicians you can see it in you know in actors and sometimes it's very slight a lot of times uh it goes away after two weeks and um mine happened Right at work, I was an event manager for a catering company, and we were finishing up. I would, had been working a lot of hours, a lot of days, a lot of weeks, and this was a long event, and I, I don't know if I was on my 12th hour or whatever, and we were finishing up, and suddenly my face, I felt it droop, and my speech was slurred, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm having a stroke. Right. And I called my brother right away and um, I got someone who was working with me to take me to Cedar Sinai to the ER. And they said, this is, this is Bell's palsy. And it, it uh, I think it took about two weeks. I, I took some time off from work because of the way I was speaking because I had to be in front of clients and, and guests and so forth. And um, it's, it usually can ha it can happen when you're, uh, really tired 
and I'm losing my words here, but it, it can be a bacterial. I think it could be there's a bacterial infection can cause it. And I think that's what they found. And they, they gave me a prescription. And But what it did, because my, that side of my face, the left side was already uh, improving, had been had paralysis and was improving. It really upset me or angered me or depressed me because all these years I'm improving and my face is getting better and the Bell's palsy, it was like it set me back two years. Right. And I was going to um, ask you, like, what hat were you wearing with this? Like, how are you acting as far as, because that's got to be harder to hide because it's a physical thing. Um, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I had to hide from the clients and let the person who was finishing off the catering job with me to, to talk to the client because I, I, my speech was slurred. The, the, they'll be understand, uh, understand me, but they might think I'm drunk or they might just get worried and, and think I'm having a, a stroke. And I, I, I don't want to appear like that in front of clients. And, um, yeah. So, um, that's, that's that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's super fast. I mean, like I said, you've gotten to kind of experience multiple worlds by, I mean, you know, cause I, I think, it's it's interesting, like I said, when I said earlier about you being happy now, and it, it's it's funny because you you probably can now, regardless of all the stupid things that you did, and I'm sure you you have your little moments where you get these tingles of like, oh my god, I said that or I did this or whatever. But if you look at your whole life, you got to explore. I mean, not that your life is over, but like you you entered all these chapters that could have killed people or ruined their lives. Oh yeah, oh and, yeah. yeah. But you got to explore, and you got to like through all the exploring that you did do and everything that you learned, like you got to actually figure out who the true guy you are now. And I don't think you would have figured it totally. out if it wasn't for everything that happened to you. Totally. I, I howled at the moon. I railed at the, 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 the sun and the sky. And I was, I've always said like, I'm a really nice guy and I'm easy to get along with. And I like people and I like doing stuff. And, but there was also this side of me that, that you know, uh, I had anger issues and I had the, the depression. And um, I also just had not even, not even suicide ideation. Like, I just wish I was dead. I didn't know why I was on earth. I felt I shouldn't be here. And I just wished like that, like I would be hit by a truck and I would be gone because I living was suffering and, 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 and living was hard. And, um, I went back and forth between fl just flying high and having an easy time with life and everything falling into place. And then I would hit a wall and bad things would happen. And then when bad things would happen, I would take, want to take back control. And so I would make even worse things happen because I, that's how I dealt with things. And I don't know if that's how at just addicts deal with things or, or how a, a whole cross section of human beings deal with things. But I just went, I felt like I was two human beings, you know, I, there was like the, 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 the dark Kevin and, and the, the sunny and the bright Kevin. And finally at, at 54, I can see I'm very settled and I can smile and really say, you know, I went through a lot of shitty things uh, or tough things or, or did a lot of bad things, 
but I really only remember the good things. And, and that's what, that's, that's part of the human condition. Uh, you, you remember the good things stay with you and the, the reasons why you, you are alive. And I, I don't wish I was, I was dead and I'm happy I'm here. And I could see that everything was for a reason that, that my journey as this human being, Kevin Steinberg was, I had to experience these things so that I could pick up these tools so I could become this whole person. Right. No, I, I, I fully understand that. It, you know, again, I'm a lot younger. I'm 32. So I, I'm figuring out myself. And again, I didn't go through a lot of that. I mean, I went through a lot of stuff with disability and depression and, and suicidal mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but it, it's funny because you say, because there's, there's times where, I'm really myself. Like right now I'm in my element. I could be goofy and silly and open. And then there's times where I'm in a room with a bunch of people and I'm just shut down and I can't be myself yeah. and, and I'm yelling at myself in my head. Like, why? Like you're a good mm-hmm. person. You're funny. You're charismatic. You can be a good person. I've seen it. <laughs> I know you are that good person, but there's times you just like mentally or whatever you shut down. And so I think it takes some years in your life. And again, it doesn't necessarily need to take 54 years or doesn't need, you don't necessarily need to go through all the things that you went through, but mm-hmm. everybody's journeys are different. Some people find it easier and then whatever, but it does take a while before you find yourself and not just, you know, when you become an adult, because oh, yeah. you could be 25 and most 25 years don't know who the hell they are, but yeah, you still like it takes a while to really find yourself, and experience is really what does it. Like, you know, because again, life is going to beat the shit out of you more than any physical yeah. person, any yeah. more than anything in yeah. life. Life is going to beat yeah. you down, and yeah. the only way you can, you know, compromise and get through that is to actually fight back and stand up and push back, and yeah. you know, and that's yeah. that's when yeah. you know yeah. you usually find yourself through all the pain and through all the adversity yeah. and and all the bad things that happen. Whereas a lot of times when the good things happen, that's when you become big headed and, and you, you forget where you came from and you forget about all the challenges that were thrown in your way and you start to feel privileged and you start to feel like you're better than people and whatever else. But if you go mm-hmm. through like you where you constantly had a reset every time you felt mm-hmm. like you were mm-hmm. getting somewhere, it's like, oh, I'm, can, I can be a successful actor. And then boom, something happens and boom, I can, yeah. do, I can do this out here in San Francisco. Boom, drugs. Like all this stuff yeah. constantly is constantly a reminder of like, hey, just remember, like, just because you have it good right now doesn't mean it can't change tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, it's a, yeah, it's, it's an amazing yeah. journey of, of just one person who actually was trying to pretend to be, I mean, you you were giving parts of yourself, and maybe you were giving different parts. I mean, you would give certain parts. Obviously, you couldn't be physical with your family, so you would show sexual parts and loving parts towards your partners and the guys you were with, but then there's times you probably couldn't be how you were with your family and, and, and whoever else. And then, you know, you put on a hat for jobs and stuff like that. And so then eventually you kind of, it culminates into this big thing that you are now and you realize, okay, like I was all those things. It's just, I didn't know how to put them all together in one person in mm-hmm. one actual event in mm-hmm. one moment. Um, and so, yeah, it, yeah. Just, it takes a while, but you, you figured it out. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it goes back to being a child and, I knew that I felt, I call it, I felt that I wasn't wanted on this voyage because I saw from a very early age how Jews and homosexuals were treated because they, believe me, in going to private Jewish school, the uh, amount, the number of documentaries they show you about the Holocaust. Right, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I can't even explain how upset 
upsetting that was to me that people treated my people like this. Like, what did we do? Oh my God, I am part of a, a tribe that is just hated and people would, would rather, you know, wipe us off the face of the earth. And then on top of that, seeing at the time, you know, historically and, uh, you know, uh, what homosexuals were thought of and, uh, and then having my, my feeling abandoned uh, and not accepted by my father, uh, I can see now that uh, my, my whole life, I, there's a side of me that, that was, even though I'm very uh, social and very confident, people have a hard time believing that there's a shy side to me and there's also a side, there's always a side to me that was always scared to, to speak up, to have to, to, to voice my opinion. I always was agreeable. I didn't want to rock the boat or, or upset somebody. And it's now, finally, that uh, we're, and it's you know coming out with with podcasts and you're you're my very first first interview I that I have that I am who I am that this is my truth and this is my journey and what I say I can own it and I can and I can say it and I can share it and nobody can take that away from me and nobody can say it's wrong right. there's so many times in my life and this was my my low you know self-esteem that I had hidden and the child that was still hurt uh, that I was carrying with me and um, uh, that was I think also too I wonder you know if I was felt that I didn't deserve to succeed and so if things were happening happening in the world and the way I reacted to them or that when I was making way and I was finding success that I would destroy it because there was something way back. This is for me to unpack with a therapist. So I'm you know, interested to really see one and, and wonder if that was going on all these years because so many great things, so many great jobs, so many great relationships would happen to me and they would go south. I'll let you know my feed I, later. What? Okay. And they would go south. And what I would do is I would pack up and leave town. And instead of working on myself and making those things right, I would invest in starting someplace fresh and new and put all my energy into that. Right. No, I, which, yeah. I mean, what you are, you're, no, just, go ahead. you're very refreshing yeah. like, as, a, as a human, just because you, you are honest and it's unapologetic, you know, unapologetic. You just say what you feel, and and that's the thing. What I've always said, even with me, like I may say something on here that may offend you, or you may not like, or whatever. But you can't. Yeah. You can say I'm wrong. You can say I'm whatever. You can say whatever. You can make things up, but you can't say I'm not being me. You can't say I'm not being true to who I am. Right. And yeah, you can't take that, that away from anybody. Yeah, that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, before mm -hmm. we, because I, I want to, you know, because we went through so many tragedies. One thing, <laughs> and I just want to get to kind of what you're doing today and, and in happiness. But uh, did, did you, I believe you said you did try to kill yourself? Uh, yes. So this was uh, after uh, I was recovering from cancer. And again, I I had just gone through rehab and took myself up and pulled myself together and moved forward in my life. And then cancer, I had just launched my own interior design company. And I was basically paying my rent with my credit card. And I had borrowed money 
all this money to start my company and it was like gone. And, um, I, I was just like, I can't do this again. I don't want to do this again. I just did it. And I went to a bad bathhouse where, where gay, gay guys or straight guys go and go, go to find men and have sex. Right. And I was like, I, this is, this is it. I'm leaving. I, I don't, I don't want to put up with this anymore. And I partied for about 24 hours on crystal meth. And then I took a, whatever, a whole bottle of uh, 20 sleeping pills. Well, when you're taking amphetamines and you're, you're you're on the super high, if you take 20 sleeping pills, they're not going to make a dent in that. And so yeah. I I had written a suicide note and everything, and I have uh, I can I have flashes of me. I don't know if they found me in the room and kicked me out uh, because you only can stay rent a room for eight hours, you know, and, and to stay in a bathhouse. I have. It flashes of me walking home in the rain. I don't know how I, the hell I walked home and wasn't hit by a car or a bus. And um, I remember knocking on the door because I, I couldn't find my key. And the person I was living with let me in. And I was shaking and wet like a dog. And um, and that, uh, and I lived. And I promised myself, uh, well, I meant to be here. I'm never going to try that again. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, you've, you have a story. Um, yeah. I mean, well, it's a good thing you're still around. I mean, it's, uh, you know, like I said, not many people can say they live through something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, suicide is one of those things where it's just, I think a lot of people don't really know what people are going through because a lot of people have always said, you know, again, sometimes people are cowards and they do take the easy way out and whatever else. But yeah, you don't know what someone's going through. I always equate it to like Robin Williams because I was always a big fan of his yeah. in many ways. And, you know, yeah. there's there's many tragic suicides and so on, like Kurt Cobain in the 90s. Like he had the biggest band with Nirvana and he sort of shotgunning to blew his head off. But I didn't have as much. I, I kind of grew to like Nirvana in the 2000s after he was long gone. Um, yeah. whereas Robin Williams, I always knew that he had talent and I always knew he can do whatever he wanted and he could. Yeah. And people, yeah. Were, you know, people had all these, exp you know, they had all these rumors of like, oh, well maybe it's cause he, you know, he was low on funds and all that. It's like, do you understand they were working on like sequels to so many movies? If he wanted to do any movie, if he wanted to do a stand up tour tomorrow, he could do it. He can do whatever he wanted. Mm. It's just, he was in a place mentally where he just didn't want to live. Like he had everything to live for, but he didn't feel like yeah. he did. And so to tell that person who's been through a lot in his life, he was an older person and he, he you know, had all kinds of success in many different, you know, genres of, of entertainment. And he still wanted to die. And it's like, look, man, I, I get it. It's kind of selfish in a way because then your family's got to find you and all that. But mm -hmm. that man mm -hmm. had everything and he still wanted to die. And yeah, so imagine yeah. where someone like you, who, yeah, you've had a, a very crazy life and you've had a lot going for you and you have a, gr a lot of great things, but you didn't have Robin Williams' career. Like, you didn't have yeah. all this fame yeah. and fortune, yeah. like, you, even though, and you, I mean, you went down some of his paths with, with acting. And, you know, regardless if you had the talent of him, you didn't have the success of him. And, and Robin correct, Williams, correct. And, and, and again, Robin Williams can do whatever he wanted. Talk yeah. about resourceful. He didn't even, he had resources based on what he did in his career. And so, 
he still wanted to die. So imagine someone like you who is trying to find themselves through their entire life and, 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 you know, things are being thrown at you with sex and drugs and all that. And, you know, mm-hmm. being an athlete and all that. And there's a lot of things that come with all pressure with all those things. And then you get to a point where it's just like, and of course the drugs are kind of mixing in with all that. And, and you already had mm-hmm. depression and of course drugs and depression don't mm-hmm. go well together. Um, mm-hmm. And depression, and anything, but, um, and it's like, yeah, why, why wouldn't you want to kill yourself? And it doesn't mean you didn't have anything to live for, but it's like, yeah, I mean, how many, how many people, especially since you were acting, you were pretending to all these people that you were okay. It's not like you were yeah. telling people, Hey, I could kill myself soon. So you may want to check up on me from time to time. It, if no, you don't do that, exactly. right. So you basically were doing it alone, even though you had people, that's what I've told people many times. Like people think like, Oh, when you, someone's lonely, that does that means that they're literally alone, but it's like no, you could be sleeping right next to somebody, you could be in a room full oh, yeah. of people and oh, feel yeah. lonely. Like if you don't of feel course. accepted or you don't feel like you fit in with these people, or you just or, or whatever, your mind is just completely out of whack, and you there could be a you could be in a room full of a million yeah. people yep. and still yeah. feel like you are alone. Um, yeah. And so and you were living a life where you had everything at your disposal, pretty much. And you had people mm-hmm, who cared about mm-hmm. you, but yet you were, you just didn't want to do it anymore. And it's like, you know, yeah. it's very understandable when you, when you get into that mindset, yeah. it's just a lot of people judge it. And that's why it's sad that a lot of people don't talk about mental health enough because they only yeah. want to talk about, yeah. as I say many times, they only want to talk about when somebody shoots up a school or, or something tragic like that, because then they can sell the angle of guns and polit- politics mm. and all that. But the reality is like, mm. The average person that, you know, there's so many, like, I, you know, I got accused of a, in high school, like, oh, he could have been the kid that shot up a school. And it's like, someone said that, and it resonated with me because years later, because she wasn't far from the truth, because I was such, I was in so much pain, and I was so sad, and I was, I was pretending like I wasn't, I was somebody that I wasn't. And I was just, yeah. you know, I would do, you know, and again, I didn't do a whole lot of bad things like you did as far as like drugs and stuff, but I was pretending to be someone else. And, you know, I, I wanted to hurt anyone that was in my way because I was hurting and people were hurting me and no one cared about me. And, you know, I didn't go, no one asked me to the prom or any of that stuff, you know, dealing with a disability, people made fun of that and whatever. And so, you know, I was hurting and you want to kind of, it started to fuel that fire. Just I, luckily I had, you know, a good mom and a grandma and certain people that kind of kept me, you know, in the mm-hmm. right path, but I could have easily stirred over to that. And, and it, you know, yeah. it, it's great that you turned yeah. out the way you did and obviously you pushed through it, but you know, again, yeah. look, look how quickly that night could have turned out a different way and we wouldn't be having this. Oh interview. yeah. Yeah. I have, you know, I, it's, it's always sad and shocking when someone commits suicide, but I also have a lot of empathy for them. Absolutely. And, and because I know the thoughts that I've gone through, my head and the feelings that have gone through my head, my mind. Right. And, you know, I, I know the people that are left behind, uh, you know, can be angry and they can feel that that's a selfish act and, and so forth. But I'm like, but for, for some people, life is suffering. Life is hard. And they're wired a different way and they see things a different way. And this is the way to re- release that that pain and so you know we we, 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 we we just have to accept that and you know I was talking to my mom and you know uh, this whole thing about you know uh, some people are so young when they have cancer and die from it and their life was taken too soon and 
I was like, you know what? I don't believe that anymore. I think that's a human construct because the universe doesn't know how, doesn't gauge years the way we do and, and, and what you accomplish in so many years. That person's life was as long as it was meant to be. They weren't taken too, too late. They weren't taken too soon. That, you know, if they committed suicide or if they were hit by a bus or if it was cancer, that was as long as that life was meant to be. Like, you know, we have uh, atoms and protons and neutrons and we have, we have fruit flies and, and uh, you know, we have whales. Like everything kind of has this, this, this uh, regular or natural life uh, expectancy to it, but also things, things go awry. Right. Exactly. Um, so uh, to kind of in closing this, what are you, yeah. what are you up to today? What is, what is Kevin doing now? Well, I, you know, COVID was very good to me. I know it was terrible for, for a lot of people and for the world, but I have to say, my dream was has always been to I have always written on and off throughout my life, but I have never done anything with it because I put my focus on on other things. And my dream has always been to sit and write and focus on on scripts and be creative. And so I was very creative uh, during COVID, and I have these uh, script. Uh, uh, writers groups that I'm uh, part of and they moved on to Zoom and so my writing has really taken off and um, it's been amazing and I have been having readings of my scripts and then this happened uh, the pod, pod, podcast I'm, I'm launching my own uh, podcast and uh, this is where I'm at in my life and this is all because of you know COVID and, and just finding my voice and, and speaking up and being able to voice my opinion, but also interview people and interview people. Uh, I want to share my experiences with people to inspire them to say, like, this is what I've been through and this is how I did it. So that, you know, people feel that they're not so alone and people can, you know, uh, relate and that people can identify and that, that maybe it will give people some hope. And so I want to interview i'm going to interview uh, people who have been through these ex experiences everything from life life threatening to even if it's being unemployed or, or or having filing for bankruptcy or going through a divorce these are heavy things as human beings that people go through and it's like how did you get through it how did you do it because in, in the end i want it to be you know an inspiring happy story. I don't want angry people. Uh, we're not going to learn from them. I don't want uh, people who are uh, victimized, self-victimizing themselves because we're not going to learn anything. I want people who have, you know, have made it through something and have something to share. So that's, that's now where I am with my life. Well, that, that's awesome. I'm not inviting myself. If you need a guest, please let me know. Um, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, no, I mean like that's, that's kind of the whole goal behind this is like, trying to uplift people. And again, like I said, some of these communities are so hard to reach, especially the disabled community, because just because I'm like yeah. them doesn't mean they want to hear my voice. It's like, oh, really? You want to remind me of what I'm like? But it's like, look, yeah. I'm in a better place in a better headspace right now where like I've pulled myself up and maybe you're still down, but 
I want to get it so you feel that you can get up just like I did. Um, and again, mm-hmm. and I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I, I let people know, like I told, I, I went through, you know, because you were talking about the whole cloud and everything with depression. I had an episode called The Dark Cloud, and I talked about all the depression stuff, my, my suicide yeah. attempt, and all the things I went through. But even at the end of the episode where I, you know, again, this is, I don't know how many months ago I did this, but I, I said, like, hey, by no means am I out of the water. Like, tomorrow I could have mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but I still battle my depression. I still battle my anxiety. Yeah. I still yeah. deal with all this, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm a success story, but I'm not, like, it, it, it's just, the book hasn't been finished. I'm continuing to push through this. I'm still trying to survive, and so just because maybe I'm in a better place than you are doesn't mean I'm looking down on where you are because, again, it's it's one of those mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, they say with work where, you know, don't shit on the people uh, on the way up because you may see them on the way down. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah. I'm, look, I'm disabled. I'm going to be, I'm going to have, I'm most likely going to be visually impaired my whole life. Most likely, unless mm-hmm. there's some crazy surgery mm-hmm. or something, um, you know, but again, like I, everybody is one step away from being disabled or homeless, you know, or, or a lot of these different things. Like you're not, you're one step away from being addicted. You just try one drug, you love it and boom, it may mm-hmm. ruin your life. Like all these things that you mm-hmm. went through and I've gone through, you're all one step away from being it. And it's like, look, I'm not, I'm never going to judge anything anyone went through. I'm just telling you like, Hey, did me and all the people like you that I'm interviewing, it's like, we are considered success stories and you can do it too. Just don't feel alone. There's plenty of us out here going through this and it's not easy. We're still battling. You know, you're going to be an addict your whole life because it's in you. And your, yeah. your whole goal yeah. is to try yeah. to stay away from everything that can plague you and could kill you. But you know, Every day, I'm sure every day is a challenge. Even if days are easier, there's still hard days, and you know, and that's why people. We're, yeah. we're all just trying to figure it out. Right. Again, Everyone's yeah. trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um. Well, I hope you had fun, man. This was, I really enjoyed this. This was awesome. No, thank you so much. Uh, this is my first podcast, and I know that uh, I don't necessarily answer questions uh, directly and succinctly that I can go off into tangents and so forth but I hope uh, your listeners can can follow along and make some sense of what I what I've said and shared well, I'm just letting you know it's all downhill from here all the rest of your interviews are gonna suck <laughs> <laughs> uh, well and that you know what uh, the, you you get better as you do this as an interviewer and as as, as a guest, and uh, I, I had to, you know, uh, just take 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 my fear uh, away or whatever, and dive right in. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, no, I kid. I hope you have great interviews. Yeah, you're, like I said, you're awesome. I hope we can be friends and con- you know stay in contact. Um, awesome. I think you're an awesome dude. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm very grateful that you did this for me. Um, I didn't know it was your first one. Not that it matters, but. I'm glad you did it. Um, yeah, like I said, it's very refreshing how honest you are and, and you just answer whatever you, you and not even just answer. You just talk about your life and you just say, look, you say a lot of things that people may, you know, kind of skirt away from, but you, you don't, you hit every point and you don't care. And, and cause you are who you are, you're owning who you are. And that's, that's something that is missing in, in this world, uh, unfortunately. But um, yeah, like I said, thank you mm-hmm. very much for doing this, and uh, I'll let you know when it comes out. My, but we'll we'll keep in touch outside too. of it anyway. 
And like course, I said, you need a course. guest for your podcast. I'm not inviting myself, but I'm just letting you know you need anything. Just please let me know. <laughs> I will reach out. I will reach out to you. I will. Anything. Though. Even if you just need someone to talk to or whatever, just please reach out. I'm here anytime. Thank you. All Thank right, you. I appreciate it. All right, brother. You have a great one. You too. Okay. Yeah. Hang in All there right. and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. Have a good night. You too, buddy. Bye. All right, guys. I know it was a long one, so... <clears throat> I don't want to say I couldn't shut him up because I really couldn't because I just kind of wanted to sit here and listen and like maybe I should have just talked to him on the phone, but you really have one shot at this to making it like supernatural. So uh, I'm just going to shut up. We're going to get out of here. Uh, thank you all for the support. Um, I appreciate everything. Everyone's just you know, reaching out and everyone, the, the, the good advice I get from this and just the feedback and, and all that. And so please like, comment, subscribe, um, share and all that. Um, but yeah, I'll see you guys on the next one and, uh, yeah, thanks guys. Bye.